prayer. God, we, we take a moment now to think of a little bit broader context than just this church. We think of uh, churches around the nation, around the globe. God, we pray that you would continue the work of your church proclaiming your gospel. We pray that we would be right in line with that, Lord, to be a church that makes a difference, uh, that we impact our communities because of the time that we spent here. So we do ask you to speak, and we do ask you to help us by your Spirit grasp what you have planned for us. Help us to not cower from it, help us to not duck it or dodge it, but lean into it by your grace to take your gospel and proclaim it to those that are around us, God. The world needs it so desperately. Help us. Make it effective, God, for us. Help us to see fruit as we do it. But we need to be prepared for it, God. So now as we open your word, we ask that you would teach us, instruct us, make things clearer for us so that we can then in turn teach others and point them to your marvelous glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going through the five solas of the Reformation, the five uh, basic foundational uh, truths or propositions that uh, brought the Reformers, starting with Martin Luther and company, to break from the Roman Catholic Church. They didn't want to break from the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, Luther thought that stuff that he nailed to that door in 1517 uh, he thought the, the Pope was going to have his back, <laughs> sort of underestimating uh, their, um, how, how deeply entrenched these things had become in the church. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, sola gratia, grace alone. We are saved by grace alone, not by works. Sola fide, we're saved by faith alone, not by the things that we can do. Those two go hand in hand. But today we're going to look at sola scriptura, scripture alone. And as is fitting, if we're going to be talking about scripture and scripture alone, I need you all to be in the Bible with me. So if you don't have a Bible here this morning, I'd like to ask you to slip your hand up and we'll bring you a copy that you can use. Uh, We're going to be in a couple of different passages this morning. Um, And so it'll be a little bit of flipping, but not too much, I promise. The sola scriptura means that our authority is Scripture alone. That the highest authority is Scripture, the Bible, the 66 books that we have there as the canon. And not some priest or some pastor or some Bible study leader or your dad or your grandma, right? Scripture alone. Uh, but historically, Protestants, right? What are Protestants? The ones that protested, right? That we protested the Roman Catholic Church for not holding to these solas. So Protestants have been uh, accused. The Re- Reformation is blamed for many things that they say are bad, and they say the reason why you guys have all these problems is especially because of Sola Scriptura. Uh, The 2010 edition of the Atlas of Global Christianity estimates 
that there are 38,000 Protestant denominations. 38,000. How do you begin picking one? Where do you start? A lot of us could probably use a refresher course on what the difference is between a lot of these denominations instead of picking a church based on whether the steeple is cute or if there's enough parking space or something. 38,000 Protestant denominations. What are we accused of? See, the Roman Catholic Church had unity, they say, because you didn't have to debate what that Bible passage means. Uh Uh-oh, two people are disagreeing in church about something, take it, to the, take, it, take it up. Person with the priestly garb, no, or yes, or thus says the Pope. Don't worry about whether you think Scripture is this. You know what? You don't even need Scripture in your own language. Don't worry about it. Let's leave it in Latin, and let's leave it to the Latin experts, and we'll tell you it's this or it's that. And see, that provides unity. You guys went off the rails with solo scriptura, scripture alone. I don't need to listen to the Pope. I don't need a priest. All I need is the Bible, man. I'm going to start my own church. And then that church starts growing, and then somebody goes, well, he, this person's teaching this in a small group. And then the, they say, no, that's not true. And the people in the small group say, yes, it is true. And then they break off, and they start another church. 38,000 denominations. Because of solo scriptura? We're blamed for schisms and factions and cults and splits and divisions in the church instead of unity because of solo scriptura, making everyone their own spiritual Rambo. You know, don't need anybody else. I got my gun, the Bible. It didn't take long for things to go crazy. Melchior Hoffman proclaimed that Jesus Christ would come back in 1534 for sure that the second coming is going to be in 1534 now it would be nice to say well he was the first one he didn't know he didn't have all these radio guys that all messed up you know a laughing stock of christianity but already like in 1528 or something like that another guy already proclaimed it and it didn't happen so this guy steps up no no i got it now it's going to happen in 1534 Then he started reading like Revelation and books where it talks about Elijah coming back, you know. And he's like, I'm the second Elijah, I'm it. I'm going to usher in this return of 1534. Started recruiting disciples to himself, started with a small group. Sounds like a church plant, don't it? Right? Then he starts preaching, and he starts recruiting more disciples. Then he gets thrown in jail, and while he's in jail, one of his main disciples, Jan of Leyden, he rises up. And he says, I'm a king. And he talks about the importance of kings from the Old Testament. What else did they do in the Old Testament? They had multiple wives. I want more wives. People start like, oh, here's my daughter. This, this is right when the Reformation started. This, this isn't from the newspaper last week, which I'm sure we can find those. What are they, what are they doing, interpreting Scripture? Literally. They wanted to interpret Literally. Jesus says, proclaim from the, the Bible says, proclaim him from the mountaintop, the top, the rooftops. They'd stand on the roof, on the edge. Thus says the Lord, they're preaching from the roof. You remember in the Old Testament, the prophet that ran around naked? They started doing that. Take off their clothes and just start running in the streets, 
1534, he's coming back. Remember when Jesus said, come to me, all you, like little children. If you don't come to me like a little child, you'll not be able to come. They started dressing up and masquerading as little children, walking around, full-grown adults with like diapers and binkies. I don't know what they did, whatever their version of a little child was back then. Full-grown adults walking around dressed like children. I don't know about you, but if I was living back then, I'd be like, I'm going back to the Catholic Church. You guys are crazy. (laughs) Fast forward to 2010 at least. 38,000 denominations. They're not all dressing up as babies. They're not all standing on rooftops. But 38,000 denominations makes you think, what's going on? It's an ugly history of the Reformation. That whole thing with those two guys that I mentioned ended in a bloodbath. Protestants and Catholics teamed up together, surrounded this town that was full of these cultists, And they had a war, blood all over the place. They blamed the Reformation. See what you started with your sola scriptura? They also blamed consumerism on it. Y'all know what consumerism is in the church. You know, you go to a big store and the line was too long, and then you go to another store and they have a, a quick checkout line that you like better, and you're like, I'm not going to that other store anymore. I'm going to this one. It serves me better. I don't have a faithfulness to that store owner. I'm not, I'm not here to make a buck, to help him make a buck. I need to save money. I need to make a buck. So I'm going to choose a store based on what serves me the best. Well, we do that with church. I didn't like that. Sermon was too long. Chairs were too uncomfortable. People were too stiff. People were too wild. People were dressing in jeans. People weren't dressing in jeans. Church consumerism is the ultimate Lone Ranger Christianity. A church can't tell anybody, whoa, 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 don't leave. What do you mean don't leave? There's 38,000 denominations, not 38,000 churches. Each of those denominations has multiple churches. I'll pick which one I want. I can go here, I can go there, I can go there, I can go there. Everyone's just running around doing whatever they want. If a church tries to wield authority, whoa, hey, you're not the authority. This is the authority. I'm going somewhere else. Is that what the reformers meant by sola scriptura? Should there be a church division every time there's a disagreement? Do we just not know what we're doing? Should we go back to the Catholic Church in Rome and say, we're sorry, we messed up for all these years, for 500 years, we've just been idiots. Can you just ask the Pope to just tell us what to do? Well, I'll submit to you that's not what we should do. But I also want to say we need to listen to the critique because we do have these problems of schisms and rampant consumerism in the church and that's not what Sola Scriptura is supposed to take us to. Sola Scriptura does not mean me and my Bible and I'm not listening to anybody else. That is not Sola Scriptura. You've got it wrong. So we're going to be in a couple of different passages today. We're going to start with John 10. We're going to start with what Jesus says concerning Scripture. Not everything that Jesus said concerning Scripture, of course. 
But we're asking ourselves, what is sola scriptura? Let's get back to what sola scriptura is supposed to be so we can avoid the pitfalls that we're accused of, and some of them we're rightly accused of. John chapter 10, we have a church argument. John has lots of these, okay? You have the Pharisees, experts in the law. They know scripture. They memorize it. They teach it. They've learned it from a young age. And then you have Jesus, who to them is unlearned, doesn't really have a rabbi that he learned under he just kind of learned it on his own what's going on with this guy and then they have a conflict and they want to kill him because of what he says in verse 30 so it's the feast of dedication verse 22 they're all gathered around they ask him why do you keep us in suspense verse 24 if you're the christ tell us plainly they just want him to say it so they can kill him just indict yourself by saying it plainly jesus answered i told you and you don't believe me Verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Oops. You remember the Old Testament? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And he's saying, right, and I'm in there. I'm one with God. Now, some people tell you, no, nah, that's not what he meant. Yes, it is, because look what verse 31 says. That's, they knew exactly what he just said. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So there's the argument. Jesus says he's God. They say he's not. There's the argument. It's verse 32. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works. From the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. It's fine that you do a lot of good stuff. Good works are great, but you're, you are contradicting what we've learned in the Old Testament. That there's one God, and you're saying you're also God. You can't be God. You can't use the word God for yourself. You can't apply God to a person. So Jesus goes to the Bible, not experience, not a vote. Let's look at Scripture, verse 34. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. Now he's referencing a psalm, I believe it's Psalm 82. And he says, if he called them God's to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming me because I said I am the Son of God? So Jesus is doing a delay tactic here. And he's saying, you have an Old Testament passage in the Psalms where God looks down at Israel and calls them gods, sons of the Most High, and then tells them, but you all disobeyed, so I'm going to kill you. Right? So you remember that, that first generation that had to wander around in the wilderness till they died and they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. God is talking to them and look, I lifted you up. You're, you're like gods. He calls them gods, small g, and sons of the most high. You're in relationship with this divine being, but you all didn't take advantage of it. And so you're going to wander in the desert till you die. You disobeyed the commandments I gave you. That's what Jesus is quoting. And Jesus is just simply making a point to make them stop and drop the rocks for a second that they were going to throw at him and go, wait, what? And then he's going to slip away, <laughs> right? He's just telling them, you just said you can't use gods to refer to a person. And the Psalms, God does that. And Scripture cannot be broken. 
Scripture can't be broken, and your interpretation meets up against Scripture, which one is going to give? If Scripture can't be broken, and it collides with your tradition, which one is supposed to break? If Scripture can't be broken, what does logic tell you? Logic tells you, break the tradition, bro. That's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, you have a tradition of interpretation that doesn't allow for the kind of Messiah that I am in your theology. What I'm telling you is, you need to go back to Scripture, allow Scripture to inform your theology so that now you can have room for the kind of Messiah that I am, because I am. Jesus goes to the Bible and shows them from the Bible that their categories need to be adjusted. And he uses something that they both agree on when he says in verse 35 that Scripture cannot be broken. What I want to tell you, CFC, this morning is sola scriptura means that. That Scripture can't be broken and everything else can. Not that everything else doesn't matter. It's not that pastors' opinions don't matter. It's not that priests in the Roman Catholic Church, Luther was not trying to say, disband all priesthood. Everyone read the Bible for themselves. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, when the priests start doing something that doesn't jive with Scripture, we can't say, well, there's two things going on here. Scripture and what we say. And sometimes they just have to go along with each other and learn to get along. No, they don't have to learn to get along. They need to get along, but in the places where they don't, one of them has to win out. And that one is Scripture, because Scripture can't be broken. Tradition is not the unbreakable thing. Scripture is the unbreakable thing. Right? The Reformers weren't saying, so forget tradition. Who needs tradition? Who cares what people have believed for 500 years? Let's just start all over from scratch, CFC. Let's start over. Now, that's not what the Reformers wanted. It's not Scripture instead of any other tradition, instead of any other interpretation, but it's Scripture that is the one unbreakable thing that controls everything else. And of course, Scripture interpretation is necessary. Scripture interpretation is necessary. It's not enough to just say, just the Bible. If that were true, we wouldn't have sang the songs that we sang. We probably wouldn't have even prayed, unless I'm going to pray verbatim a piece of Scripture. And I certainly wouldn't be up here talking right now. We would just gather. I'd stand up. I'd read the Bible. If we want to be hardcore, let's get back to the original. Let's all learn Greek and just read it in the original language so that there's nothing in the way. No translation, nothing. No gap. Close an amen and everybody go home. Now that would be Scripture alone, wouldn't it? No, that wouldn't. That wouldn't be solo scriptura. That'd be what some people call solo scriptura. Scripture only and nothing else exists. We're only going to look at the naked Bible by itself. But that misses the value of interpretation, which is what Jesus just did right here in John 10. He didn't just quote the verse, you notice. He didn't just quote the verse at him. Hey, Psalm, remember the Psalms? Goodbye. (laughs) Remember the Psalms and they said this? Well, if this and that than the other thing. He's using logic, right, to interpret the psalm 
and have that psalm weigh in on the current debate. That's interpretation. The reformers were never against interpretation. We need to interpret the Bible. Now people say, well, if interpretation is open to anyone, then we're going to be in hot water. Well, that's not true. I want to turn to one more passage, Acts chapter 8. We'll go to 15, and I'm going to abbreviate chapter 8. Go to 15. While you're going to 15, I'll walk you down memory lane. You remember in chapter 8, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. He's in his chariot. He's reading the Bible. He's reading from Isaiah. Some of you remember this. And he's probably reading it out loud or whatever. The Spirit guides Philip to run up alongside the chariot. I don't know how fast it was going, you know. And he's running up alongside the chariot. He's like, hey, I hear you're reading Scripture. Do you know what's going on there? The eunuch says, how can I know unless someone guides me? Come on up. Philip hops in, and then he asks him his question. Who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so Philip helps him understand Jesus and Jesus' message of the gospel to understand Isaiah. Philip interprets it for him, comes alongside the eunuch, and teaches him how to read Isaiah. And so sola scriptura cannot mean what they say we think it means, because if that were the case, Philip would have said, do you understand what you're reading? No? Sorry, you must not be a Christian, and just keep walking. But no, he does come alongside him and says, well, here's how you're supposed to read it. Here's how you know it's true. Here's how Isaiah connects with everything else in the Bible. Do you see this thread all pushing towards this one Messiah? Yes, I see that. Let's pull over and let's get baptized, man. And so he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch after giving him his first lesson on how to read the Bible. Don't ever give somebody a Bible and be like, look, if you're really seeking, you're going to understand it. Don't call me and ask me questions because then you're not serious. That's anathema, man. If somebody says, man, I'm trying to read this and I don't understand it, you drop everything and say, let me help you to the point that I understand. None of us are experts. Let me help you to the point that I understand. That's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So interpretation is necessary. Interpretation is good. We're not supposed to be afraid of it. We're supposed to embrace that. Does that mean that the churches should just split every time someone has a different interpretation? No. Acts 15 is the account of the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was another debate. Okay? Some people are just really afraid. Anytime a debate comes up in church, oh, smash it down. Let's just, let's just have, let's just throw a party and distract everybody. There's no differences here, you know. And the first church, the apostles, Peter is talking, Paul is talking, Barnabas is talking, James is talking, and there's a debate. That's okay. How do you do a debate? If a married couple tells me, oh, we never fight, I'm like, I'm going to start praying for you guys. Because you're either liars, or you don't talk, or you don't live in, actually live together, you know. Healthy arguing is a healthy marriage. Well, same thing with the church. How do you debate? How do you disagree? Okay, there's a disagreement. What is the disagreement here? Verse 1, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're trying to figure out what to do with all these Gentile believers. They're not, I mean, they're eating pork. They're not circumcised. They, they dress weird. 
you know, they don't, they don't understand synagogue customs. They walk in wrong. They do all kinds of stuff that's just not very Jewish. They need to be Jewish because God started with the Jews. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and they need to convert to Judaism, Jewishness, to be in this thing. But then there was another group that said, no, no. Uh, you know, I heard Philip in the, in the chariot when he was with the Ethiopian eunuch, he just gave him the gospel, he believed the gospel, and he baptized him. That's it. He, he didn't tell the, the eunuch that he needs to start adopting all kinds of Jewish customs. So there's this debate. What do we do with the Gentiles? After Paul and Barnabas, verse 2, had no small dissension and debate with them. This wasn't like, hey, whatever, let's go to Bona. You know, this is a big deal. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles. Take it up. And the elders about this question. What do you do when there's no apostles? There's still elders today, guys. Verse 3. So being sent on their way to the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Some people are loving it. Man, Gentiles are coming. All kinds of people are coming. This is great. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is not necessary, it is necessary, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to, the, to keep the law of Moses. You're going, wait a minute, Pharisees, believers who had belonged to the Pharisees, they just haven't shaken it all off yet, right? But they're believers, they're believers and they're members in the church. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Here's your first church council, big meeting to decide an important doctrinal matter. After there had been much debate, if you read Acts 15 really quick, it's just like, oh, they solved that one. This is, this is taking time. After much debate, where would I leave off, guys? <laughs> Verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, I knew where I was, I was quizzing you. Good job, guys. Good job. See, I wanted you to have your Bibles in your laps. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace, there's sola gratia, of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So they're affirming those first two solas that we talked about. If the first two solas are true and we're saved by grace and faith alone, we can't exclude the Gentiles because then we'd be excluded. We can't even uphold our own law. And we're going to put that burden on them? So he's using logic to show that this, this isn't really logical. This doesn't really make sense in real life to, to cause the Gentiles to bear this burden that we can't even bear. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So they used logic. Now they're using experience. Paul and Barnabas were like, We went here, and they repented. We went over there, they repented. They were baptized. We went over here. They were filled with the Spirit. They're manifesting signs of this. They're speaking in tongues. They're healing. They're prophesying. They're doing stuff that there's no way an unbeliever is doing this stuff. Okay? So now they're showing how it matches experience 
it matches logic, but the debate's still not over. Because logic is not what's unbreakable. Experience is not what's unbreakable. Scripture is what's unbreakable. So my boy James speaks up, right? I love James. He says in verse 14, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So he's going back to that first logical point that was made. And then he's bringing scripture in verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. In other words, I'm going to put it next to scripture. Does it, does it fit or does scripture break it? Just as it is written, and he's quoting Amos, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. He's saying this, was, this is not new. Gentiles have been included. They're coming in droves now. That's new. <laughs> the sheer number of Gentiles that are coming now, that's new, but it wasn't new before. Amos talked about it, prophesied it, and we're just experiencing it. It matches Scripture. It makes sense in real life. It's logical. But most importantly is that it matches Scripture. You see that they did not say, forget logic. Who cares what we experience? Let's just read the Bible. It's the Bible shedding light on our experience and how we're able to think and put things together. So we don't just approach the Bible and go, read a verse, let's pray, go home. We have to think about it, talk about it, discuss it, match it up with our experiences, match it up with logic. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to say that the Bible's saying that? Maybe it takes a council. Maybe it takes other people. Maybe it takes a group of elders. Maybe a group of elders has to take it up with other groups of elders and other churches that are responsible churches and say, man, we're hitting this problem Help us get through this and figure out what Scripture says here. That's a biblical pattern. That's a biblical model. I want to point you to three verses that are also in chapter 15. If you look at verses 22, 25, and 28, you'll see something that's repeated. Verse 22, Luke is writing. He says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men to send to Antioch. Verse 25. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men. Right? It seemed good to them. They don't have a, a proverb that says, send Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. They have to discern what the Spirit is doing, and they do that in unity together. It seemed good to them, and they came to one accord first, and then chose men, and then sent them. Look at verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, reaffirming the decision that they made at the council after James spoke up. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Whoa, he's so confident that they've done this right. He's so confident that the process is is good that he's saying this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's putting authority behind it. But he's only putting authority behind it, not just because everyone's agreeing, 
He's putting authority behind them because they agree about what Amos said in the Bible. Scripture alone cannot be broken. And it's because of that that the group of them interpreting it realize this is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. When you meet Christians that are so Holy Spirit that they don't need the Bible, they need to be rebuked. The Holy Spirit works with the Bible, through the Bible. He inspired the Bible, and he opens your eyes to understand the Bible. We don't look at clouds and shadows on the wall and try to interpret stuff. We don't wake up in the morning and write that down and do our devotions from the dream. The Bible is what the Spirit uses. So, if somebody says, all I need is the Bible and the Holy Spirit, that's all I need, that would actually be very unbiblical and that would be very contra Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible to be the sole source of authority. The last verse I want to show you is in 1 Corinthians 2. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. We're going to put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is teaching the Corinthians the difference between Worldly wisdom, they don't have the Bible. Their ultimate authority is themselves and their wisdom and their logic. And Christians who have the Bible as their authority and as their guide. We impart this truth. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Remember, the importance of interpretation. Why have sermons? Why have sermons? Why are we doing this? Because interpretation is needed. That doesn't mean I can't be wrong. But human, not human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the only way to understand and discern what the Spirit is saying in the Bible is to have the Spirit, to be a spiritual person, not a natural person. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Let's leave that screen there for a second. Somebody told me once, nobody could tell me anything because look what it says right there. I'm a Christian. I'm a spiritual person. And we are to be judged by no one. Right? But what I, what I wish I would have pointed out at the time is the, the last line of the verse. But we have the mind of Christ. Not you. We have the mind of Christ. What if you're wrong? Lean on the community that also has the mind of Christ. So this is not a time where say, just me and the Bible. That's all I need. No, me, the Bible, and everyone else that God has given the interpretive ability to understand the Bible, I need y'all. Together, we have the mind of Christ. When he says no one is to judge the spiritual person, he means no one that's unspiritual can judge the spiritual person because they can't even understand the Bible. They can get PhDs in it. They can study the Greek, they can study the Hebrew, but they don't understand what the Spirit is trying to do. They don't grasp the gospel. What we do need is other believers who do have the mind of Christ, who do understand the Bible, so that we can interpret it and understand it together. Not through worldly wisdom, but simply through the interpretive community. Of course, we have to teach each other. Paul continues to do that. After those verses... Paul continues and says, but you guys aren't acting very spiritual. You're acting worldly. Let me spank you real quick, you know, and then he, then he just lays into them. So, of course, we need teaching. Of course, we need to be judged. 
But we don't need to be judged by worldly standards. We need to be judged by spiritual standards right here with each other. So people have accused the church of saying sola scriptura and completely ignoring creeds and confessions, right? Like we don't need creeds and we don't need confessions. And maybe some of us are a little bit guilty of that. When's the last time any one of us in here read a confession of old? How about our own doctrinal statement? We made you do it for the membership class. Ever pull it out? What do we believe about this Holy Spirit? Look at it. Ever think about what do we believe about the Father and creation and, and, and look at it? I actually think our doctrinal statement is a little thin. We need to beef it up. But we do embrace creeds, not because they're our ultimate authority, but because they shed light. It's interpretive help that we need. One author had this really great illustration. Kevin Van Hooser described it like the sun is the scripture. The Bible is the sun, right? And then traditions, confessions, creeds, doctrinal statements. It's like the moon, right? It doesn't have its own light. The moon doesn't shed its own light. It's not a, it's not a luminary body by itself. It just reflects light from somewhere else. But it's still needed. It still sheds light. So Sola Scriptura is saying there's only one sun. There's only one source of light that generates light by itself that can't be messed with. Right? But it doesn't mean there's no other ways to help reflect that light to ourselves. Philip came along the Ethiopian eunuch like a moon. He can't, I can't see the sun. Here you go. Shh. Reflected it toward you. See it now? That doesn't make Philip the ultimate authority. Scripture is still the ultimate authority. He's just explaining it. Why do I drive that home so emphatically? Because I think we sometimes are doctrinally thin. Maybe some of us don't read our Bibles enough, but some of us read our Bibles, and it's like popping the vitamin that you need. Doctor says if I pop these vitamins, I should be good. So... I'm going to read a verse a day or a chapter a day or do a reading plan, you know, and that's going to make me healthy without the thinking of what does it mean and how do I get about that understanding what it means and what's going on there. So I want to leave you with a few applications. Before I do that, for those of you who take notes, here's an important principle if you want to write it down, an important principle for understanding the Bible. Where the Bible is most clear and emphatic, we are unapologetically firm. Right? Where the Bible is most clear and most emphatic, we are unapologetically firm. How clear is the Bible that Jesus is God? How clear is the Bible that the only way to be saved is to call on Jesus' name? Clear and emphatic. Well, then we're going to be clear and emphatic. Where the Bible is less clear, and less emphatic, we're cautiously uh, flexible. Cautiously flexible. Right? You remember that little teaching on deacons we did a few months ago? I started out by saying, this is not a hill to die on. Some churches see deacons this way, some churches see deacons that way. We just need to make a decision. So we gathered, we talked, we did an interpretive community and all of that. I consulted with other pastors, resources, all this kind of stuff. We presented the information to you guys. And then here's our conclusion. But then again, not a hill to die on. It's not even in our main doctrinal statement. Why? Because the things where the Bible is less clear and less emphatic, we're not going to treat them like it's the Trinity. 
We could be cautiously flexible. I say cautiously because it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it's not the Trinity and the gospel, who cares? No, 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 I care because the Bible talks about it. It may not be as clear and emphatic, but we do need to talk about it. Cautiously flexible, right? A few points of application for you guys I think that will help us with Sola Scriptura in our lives today. Some of us are probably sitting here like, who cares? But the Reformation was 500 years ago. I don't care. I don't go to a Catholic church. I never went to a priest. I don't care. We should care. We need Sola Scriptura today. First application is the importance of your own Bible reading, your own Bible meditation, spending time in the Word. That is the ultimate authority. Some people tell me, oh my goodness, I love this YouTube YouTube personality. I YouTube all his sermons. That's great. That's okay. You know, I just wonder sometimes if if uh, those kind of people are spending that much time in the Word, in the Word itself, and not just what people say about it. We definitely need to spend time in the Word. We live in a very privileged place and time where Bibles are in pretty much most known languages, right? And then in our language, English, how do you want it? you want it with contractions? Do you want it with Shakespearean English? Do you want it somewhere in the middle? Do you want it with pictures? Do you want it with a camel cover? Do you want it with bullets down the side? You know what I'm saying? Do you want like graffiti on it? Do you want to listen to it instead of read it? Here's a bunch of actors that got together in the studio and read it. You want to hear an epistle from Samuel L. Jackson? Go ahead. Have Samuel L. Jackson read you the Bible. But you have access to the Bible. That is a privilege. Second application is the importance of an interpretive community. It is not okay to be a Christian and say it's me and the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, and that's all I need. That's unbiblical, and that's anti-Holy Spirit. We need to be in an interpretive community where we go, hey, I think this is saying this. What did you get? Well, I got this other thing. Whoa, so-and-so, what do you think? The Jerusalem Council. It's not always going to be a big debate, and probably most of the time you're going to say, I got this. Oh, I got that too. And I got that too. And you see how the Spirit's moving and there's unity and that's great. But sometimes there's going to be disagreements and we don't run from disagreements. We need disagreements because sometimes in a disagreement, you're the party that's wrong. And if you're the party that's wrong, you're never going to know that it's wrong if you're not in a group of people where they show you that it's a disagreement. And I don't want to just be blindly wrong. I want to be knowingly right. I want to be corrected. I appreciate it when after a sermon someone comes up to me and says, I was reading it and I, I think it was more this way. And I'm like, hmm. And I've got to go back and massage it a little more and figure it out. Um, sometimes there's things that I need to correct and I appreciate that. If I never got that from the church, that'd be scary to me. Whoa, I could stand up here and make the Bible say anything I want. And they're just going to be like, mm-hmm. that's scary, man. Next thing you know, I'll be on the rooftop dressed like a little baby. It'll be, it'll be crazy up in here. I need a community that is reflective, thoughtful, and like the Bereans, investigating Scripture for themselves. You need that. We need that. And our, our growth groups, obviously, are an example of that community. That's why we meet together to talk about Scripture. Third application is the importance of learning or the importance of prayer.
for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Importance of prayer for the Holy Spirit's guidance. I need the Holy Spirit's guidance to understand Scripture. And not just understand it intellectually, but to embrace it and allow it to change me. I come to Scripture with the stiff-neckedness that is typical of Israel and me. And I need the Holy Spirit to bend me so I can understand it. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance because even if we're in our interpretive group and somebody comes up with a wacky definition, a wacky explanation, and everyone else is wacky enough to go, yeah, that sounds good. We should do that. Can a whole church be wrong? Yeah, there's a lot of churches where the whole church is wrong, guys. So we need prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. We can go wrong. We can err, right? We can misunderstand what Scripture is saying. A good starting place are the five solas. You move far away somewhere, you're looking for a healthy church, at least start with the five solas. Where are they on that? Scripture alone? Does that show up? Do the songs just talk about freely feelings and no real scripture in it? Do they read scripture? When they pray, and they pray together, is scripture kind of bleeding through the prayers? Or the prayers just kind of Christianese and doesn't really make any sense? Or just about feelings? When the pastor stands up, does he have a Bible at least? Or is he just skinny jeans, spiky hair, and a couple Starbucks, and we're just going to have a talk? Who cares about Scripture? doesn't sound like sola scriptura. So the five solas are a good starting place, but we need the Holy Spirit's guidance in that interpretive community. And then finally, read well. Read. We have this awesome privilege of being 500 years after the Reformation. You know how much writing has been written? How many books have been printed to help us understand what all these guys took a long time to get to? We can access it. And there's books that are high level, written for PhD guys, and then there's books down here that you can give to a fifth grader to understand what the Reformation was about. And then everything in between. There's really no excuse. It takes me too long to read. Take a long time. Take a long time. It'll take me five years to read that book. <laughs> Get started. Starting now, it'll take five years? Get started, man. I know a guy that loves to read so much. Sadly, he's not a Christian. And I was asking his wife one day, how does he read, how does he read so much, you know? And she said, he squeezes it in everywhere he can. He's eating breakfast. He's shaving. I'm like, get out of here. She's like, I kid you not. I wake up and I look in the bathroom. He's with a book. Okay? We can squeeze it in. But we should read well, good books. And we should read old guys and new guys. New guys will help us understand the old guys. But the old guys are good to read because they're the ones that are there figuring things out. You know, they were back then when it was really important and it mattered. And they came with this thing and it came out. And they're like, okay, this is it. Read those guys too. If you need help choosing books, you can ask me, people who have been Christians for a long time that read well here, uh, to, to help encourage you to access these guys. Why do I say that? To be a nerd? No, not to be a nerd. I say that because if we understand that sola scriptura does not mean me in the Bible, I don't care what anybody else says, but it does mean me in the Bible, and I need other spirit-filled believers to help me rightly understand apply what the Bible's saying, rightly understand what the Bible's saying, then I don't just need my small group, but I need the experts who've written awesome stuff to help me understand this. Does that make sense?
We want to access the interpretive mind of other brothers and sisters in the church, not just Christian Fellowship Church, but the church universal. Those are precious gifts that have been given to us. Um, so I do commend you to think about whether you're a sola scriptura person, Christian, or one of the other two extremes. I don't care what the Bible says, or just me and the Bible, I don't care what anyone else says. We want to be in this healthy place where it's us, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit-filled community to understand what the Bible says. That's a healthy church. That's a healthy Christian. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And if you're able, I'm sure you're ready. I invite you to stand and join us as we close in a song together.